everybody, my name is Cass. I am Alex. Uh, and this month, we are talking about uh, Night on the Galactic Railroad, directed by Gisubro Sugi and produced by Group TAC. Uh, Alex, what do you think about this movie? I don't even know, man. It's, it's a fucking weird one. It's real good. Uh, I really liked it. It has vibes out the ass. Yeah, it's, sure. it, it is the definition of a pure vibes performance. It's got got gay Italian cats t- going on a magical train in space. Uh, in space, uh-huh. one one of them may or may not be the Christ. I don't think that either of them is the Christ. So, so we'll get to the Christ stuff because I actually I have I have an insane I have a, a mind blowing fan theory i guess uh i I have a might i have i have an assertion uh by which this film may be problematic uh (laughs) not actually uh (laughs) but uh yes so yeah so this book is based on a a classic japanese novel by kenji miyazawa uh which is from the 1920s i think Uh um and yeah it's uh it it this movie is very strange it has a it has a je ne sais quoi about it that is a uh, uh, straight up into the stratosphere, as as, <laughs> as as they say, a stratosphere quoi. Uh, so yeah, so this this movie opens in a way that prepares you for exactly what it is with the longest opening credit sequence I have ever experienced. <laughs> it is. It takes forever, and it's it's like. I mean, the whole beginning of the movie really takes its time getting going. This movie has it's very slow paced, and I kept waiting. It's very strange, like it's very very slow, and then suddenly, yeah, like the last third is like stuff happens. Yeah, so like what I, what I was reading about, it was kind of like like <laughs> I brought you to think between stuff happens and events occur with tildes around them just visualize yeah (laughs) normal winnie the pooh stuff happens fancy winnie the pooh events occur (laughs) Um, except in this time the fancy ones are are ones that like are kind of just like the the pure vibes yeah no consequences um so yeah so this uh but what i what i learned when i was reading about the novel that this is adapted from is first off uh that that this book the novel is unfinished um so which kind of explains a little bit of the weird pacing so or like the beginning of the novel and the end of the novel were finished but the middle sections that Miyazawa intended to write were not finished when he died um and the book was was published as is which kind of does feel like what it is like it it feels like it definitely feels like it's missing something in the middle that connects the end bits to the beginning bits um, where like it feels like the beginning is very fleshed out and the end is very fleshed out and the middle is just sort of like a bunch of weird stuff happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, because like the yeah the the beginning is paced like a novel. Yeah, like it's it's much too slow for a film. Yeah, uh, it like it takes it takes like a half hour to kind of set the stage. Yeah, and which is uh, kind of bonkers. But also like at no point was I bored because it's very pleasant to look at and like i said like even before 
they get on the magic train. This movie just has, everything about this has this like weirdly cursed vibe to it. Like it's just like, it, it, it's all, it's like almost Lynchian. Like how this, how everything about this movie, it, like every interaction between two characters is just like so little, strange. Yeah, everything's a little off kilter. The other thing about this, the, the book that this is based on is that the book is not about cats. <laughs> they just made that up for the movie. They just decided, what if we adapted this and we made all of the characters cats? Except uh, for except for the kids who die on the Titanic. Yes, except for the children who die on the Titanic. That would be it. Would apparently be weird to make them cats, but everybody <laughs> else is a cat. It would be it would be disrespectful. The the, the, um, the amazing thing is is that so there's like a later scene where they all go to heaven, and there's like a huge crowd of people going to heaven, and like ninety eight percent of them are cats. There's like there's like one cat for like every there, there's like one human being going to heaven for every ten cats that are going to heaven. All cats go to heaven. Cats um, are the people. So yes, yeah, so we're introduced to our in in the opening scene. We we learn about space. We learn that galaxies are made out of stars, and we're introduced to uh, our our main characters, Giovanni and Campanella. Um, also, so the opening credit sequence. Um, it has and like all of like the intertitles have captions. Uh, they're they're in Japanese and they have a, a captions in an additional language. And the additional language is not Italian. It is Esperanto. Okay, uh, I was wondering about that uh, because I thought it was Portuguese at first because it doesn't I, look like Italian. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't sure, and I also was wondering if the, if that was like if I the version I I was watching had like hard coded subtitles. No, in that isn't. But, that's entirely but, intentional because Kenji Miyazawa was a big Esperanto head. Interesting. Um, so yeah, so the 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 inter the intertitles have uh, additional translations into Esperanto. Uh, and it, Is Esperanto I, the language that's used on some of the station signs as well? Uh, I think it might be because at one uh, point they at, when they're. Um, I think most the, of the in most of the diegetic text, like the text on like uh the signs and yeah, on like yeah. and on letters i think it's mostly italian okay. um but uh it might be esperanto but like i was noticing on like a lot of the uh although i guess no because i in my in my notes because like there there's in the opening shot they show the like the glass case with like the crab in it and stuff like that mm, yeah. and it has it has a, a a noun ending that didn't look Italian to me. It looked more Portuguese to me. So I wrote, "These cats speak Portuguese." Uh, <laughs> but then I now I know it's Esperanto. So maybe it is Esperanto. Um, yeah. I was thinking of the station that with all, yeah. this, all the corn, uh, and there's a sign that's set like it looks like it. It's it's it says like corn station basically, but it's like Stathio miso or something ah yeah uh, i didn't screenshot it so i don't have it exactly but yeah um, it wouldn't surprise me if all the diegetic text was also in esperanto but it also wouldn't surprise me if it was it was all in italian yeah. um but yeah so the credit sequence lasts forever um the other thing about this movie is like this and what part a huge part of its vibe is like the soundscape of this movie which yeah. i i was going in i was really i was anticipating it being really good because the music in this movie was done by haruomi hosono who is uh one third of the legendary japanese synth trio yellow magic orchestra um uh, uh. 
And I, I'm a big, I'm a big Kato Mi Hosono fan. I love Yellow Magic Orchestra. So I was really excited. And something that I was, I was surprised by is how little music there actually is. Like there's a yeah, lot of yeah. scenes that play silently and how much of the music is not really all that musical. It's very like soundscapey and stuff like that. It's really, really interesting. And it get, but there's a lot of scenes, especially early on that are just silent. Mm-hmm. And, um, so yeah, so we, we, we meet our we meet our friends, we see them in school, but they're they're kind of outcasts. Um, well not Campanella. Campanella, uh, people 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 think he's okay, but Campanella he uh definitely gets a he like he takes a little bit of flack because he's defending Giovanni. Uh he, it hardly seems like he's defending him in the like most of the time. Like uh or he does it very passively. Like I guess in the in the beginning, uh in the, it, yeah. Well, in the beginning, so Giovanni is asleep, and then he gets called on to answer yeah. a question about what galaxies are made out of, and then Giovanni stands up and just stands silently there for a long time, and then <laughs> uh, the teacher calls on Campanella and says, okay, you answer the question, then Campanella stands up and just stands there silently yeah, for yeah, a long yeah, time yeah, yeah. in order to make it so that Giovanni didn't seem stupid. Um, right. I was also thinking later on when the in the parade yeah um when like the other kids are making fun of giovanni again and campanella like i at that point i expected him to like either either break out of the parade and go with giovanni or pull giovanni in to like walk yeah. with him but he just kind of looked at him and, and kept going and i was like come on dude yeah this yeah. The, the whole sequence it's it's very like the characterization is very very strange there's uh, this yeah there, and there's so much done without dialogue in terms yeah. of characterization uh like yeah. especially especially later on when when they we get more we get more uh, characters the kids in the titanic yeah um just like you learn so much about especially giovanni just by like the looks that the, each the characters give each other the other the other thing that happens in that in that classroom scene is that um one of the other cats in the in the school is like, oh, Giovanni has been like talking to Campanella's dog, and I'm like, this cat has a dog. <laughs> this cat has a this cat has a pet dog. Um, You'd know it. But yeah, so they um, so then after school, uh, Giovanni goes to work at a like print shop or like a uh, like a typesetters or a printers. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's this very long sequence. So like he walks in, and again, this whole thing is just like it's so weirdly menacing. This interaction, like yeah, it's like- so like there's so much weight because there's no music. The room is silent, and it- and he Giovanni just like walks in and talks to this man, and it's just like hey. Uh, do you have any work for me? And like the guy who runs the print shop is like, there's like a, a weirdly pregnant pause, and then he's like, typeset this. Yeah, yeah, the, like yeah, all there's so little dialogue. It's it's so like, like it it takes on yeah, it takes on this kind of like weight just because even like the most mundane conversations yeah. are treated with such kind of solemnity. Yeah. So he, he like, and then there's like this very long sequence where he's like grabbing all of the, the letters from like the various type drawers, um, you know, and doing his work. And there's, it's just, it takes like, it's, it's such a long sequence without any dialogue at all, where you just watch him do this like very manual task. There's no dialogue, there's no music, you just hear him, like, putting the type in his basket, and then it, like, cuts to a few different shots, and then it, like, you know, f- do, like, a fade to indicate the time is passing. It's it's very strange. Um, and then after that, he 
uh, goes, he goes home and we, we meet his, we learn that he has a sister, but we never meet her. And we never see, but we do meet his mom who is apparently ailing and we never, we never see her. She's off in the other room. She's like a, she's like the, uh, the onceler. <laughs> uh, onceler parentheses, not horny. Uh, <laughs> You one has to specify. There's been a lot of discourse about Tumblr sexy men recently. Uh, uh, that's true. Christ, the world we live in. The world we live in. I must say that it's not not that one slur. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so she like they have this conversation. And we learn that his Giovanni's dad has been away for a long time for some mysterious reason on some kind of fishing trip, and he may have gotten arrested for illegal fishing. Yeah, uh, so the, ki- the kids, the kids in the in the class previously are whispering about yeah. it. Uh, they're like, "Oh, oh, Giovanni's dead. Oh, he went north to fishing. I bet he's in jail now." <laughs> yeah, uh, um, but he he hasn't been back, and they don't know when he's coming back. And then we 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 get to see that like Giovanni's life mostly revolves around like doing chores for his mom, who's ailing, and his sister doing chores for their mom, and like taking care of all of this stuff, and that he's sort of been forced to grow up kind of young uh yeah. because it because his dad is gone and his mom is incapable uh yeah um but yeah and so he he eats some tomato soup um and then we also learn that that night is the the festival of stars um which is is apparently some sort of like big big festival event and uh giovanni's gonna go he, he tells his mom that he's gonna go with campanella after uh he goes and picks up her milk which had not been delivered that day um and then she go- he goes so he leaves the house and he's like i'll be back in an hour maybe an hour and a half and he leaves the house and he goes to the dairy to pick up the milk and there is just the f- weirdest fucking exchange this c- cracked me up i had to pause the movie i was laughing for like two minutes at just how bizarre this exchange is and i don't know how i can possibly convey what this exchange is like by just describing it because like the dialogue is not weird the weirdest is entirely in like the delivery and the positioning of these characters and the shots like (laughs) so he like he like walks up to the dairy and it's this like old like you know mediterranean style building with like romanesque arches and stuff like that it's all like stucco kind of kind of stuff and he like he's like standing in the archway of like the dairy entrance and he's like hello and then like this old lady comes out like in her pajamas and just like stares at him and then he (laughs) says I'm sorry to bother you, but we didn't get our milk today, so I came to get it. And then she just, like, looks at him, and then is like... And and they just, like, stare at each other for an incredible amount of time. And then he's like, so I came here to pick up our milk. And she's... And then she's like, I can't help you. No one's here right now. (laughs) Which is an incredibly bold lie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and like, and he's like, "Well, my mom's sick. I really need it tonight." And she's like, "Well, come back a little later." Uh, and yeah, <laughs> and just leaves. And then just leaves. Then he just leaves. It's this like, I don't know how to convey the texture of this interaction. It's so strange. It is incredibly Lynchian. It's like it is such like a Twin Peaks scene or something like that, where it's just like just this completely normal conversation shot and acted in a way that feels like aliens pretending to be humans. 
it's it's <laughs> it's it's amazing um i mean for all we know like uh this is what italians are really like no i mean like when when he at the end of the movie he, he actually goes back and gets his milk and it's like yeah. lit up there's like a dude there everything's normal so like for all we know like what happened here at the beginning like maybe she wasn't lying <laughs> it was just such a strange such a strange thing um so yeah so then giovanni goes into town um to uh to go see the the festival and then he gets mocked by his classmates he like walks around there's like and again like like it's the the time between events here is so long. Like I can say, like the thing that happens next, plot wise, is that he goes to the festival and then gets like made fun of by everybody walking in a circle. Um, but like the time it takes for him to go from the dairy to that next moment of dialogue is like fifteen minutes. Um, <laughs> It's not that long. It's it's maybe like eight to ten minutes, but it's really really long. And there's a lot of these like gorgeous shots of you know people going down the street and like you know the nighttime and him going through the woods and like there's all of this stuff with no absolutely no dialogue. It's just in transit. The thing that it, the thing that that saying that out loud reminds me of. Uh, I think I've talked about this in the podcast before. I've definitely talked about it elsewhere before. But um, there's this this Gus Van Sant film called uh, called Jerry. Um, and Gus Van Sant, for anybody who doesn't know, he did, like, My Own Private Idaho and Elephant and Last Days and a bunch of other stuff. He's, like, an art house filmmaker. And he made, he made this movie called Jerry, which is the, it's the middle film in his death trilogy, which is a series of movies that he made up, up inspired by real life people's deaths. So he made, he made Elephant, which is the first one, which I really like, uh, which is about the Columbine Massacre. And he also made Last Days, which is about Kurt Cobain. And Jerry is about these two guys who got lost in Death Valley, and then one of them killed the other one to put him out of his misery, um, mm. and was later rescued. Um, and Jerry is a movie uh, that is, it's like widely cited as an example of like non-narrative cinema, because it consists largely of many uninterrupted, like super wide shots of just these two dudes walking through the desert for like 20, 30 minutes at a time. Um, and in interviews talking about his inspiration and why he made this movie, Gus Van Sant talked about how his main inspiration for Jerry was playing Tomb Raider. Um, because he was when, when he played Tomb Raider, he was struck by the fact that in a video game, you see a lot of stuff that a movie would cut out. Like oh, in... Yeah. in Tomb Raider, you know, you solve a puzzle and then you, like, go to the next room there's another thing. But, like, you see Lara, like, walking to the next destination in a way that would be cut out completely or dramatically, like, shifted or cut down mm-hmm. yeah. in in a film. And, like, backtracking and, like, yeah. other stuff that happens in video games, like, is all... Uh, yeah, like if in Tomb Raider, if you miss a jump and you fall, like you have to watch Lara go all the way back up to where she was. Yeah, whereas like in a movie, like a tra- like a training would montage never happens. <laughs> yeah, where it's like like miss, 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 get faster, go eat lunch. Um, like yeah. that whole thing would be, it would be shot and conceived and written so differently in a film, and but, like this this movie has some of that energy of just like you see giovanni like you see like the amount of time that it takes him to get from place to place in not quite the amount of like exquisite 
detail that you see in Jerry, but in a certain, like, it's still montage style, but it takes up a lot of space in the movie in a weird, in a way that is weird. Um, not bad, but definitely unusual. Um, so yeah, so he, after getting made fun of, he decides, he, he runs away from the festival and then he runs out into the woods and he goes and like lies down in a field, um, and looks up at the stars and then he is hit by a train. Um, (laughs) so like a giant tetrahedron appears in space and flies at him and then a train appears and he's blinded by the light and the train appears to run him over and then he finds himself sitting on the train. Um, and he's just sort of seated in this like ordinary sort of like late 19th, early 20th century train car seat. Just sort of and like like when I because like going into this movie, I knew nothing about it. I knew it was about cats. I knew it was about a train in space. And I knew that it was sad. But I expected it to have like I knew it was based on like a famous children's novel. So I expected it to have I expected it to be kind of like the Polar Express, actually. <laughs> and it, it, it it's not entirely unlike the polar express um but one thing like it's it's sense of wonder and and like magic is entirely different and vastly more alienating yeah. than any piece of children's literature i have ever encountered <laughs> yeah, absolutely um like it is it is it's so strange like if i if i had read this novel as a kid i never would have slept again <laughs> but also like like if i had if this was a book that i had had or a film that i had, had access to as a kid i would have been obsessed with it like if, if if this was the sort of thing that I that I'd had in my life, like absolutely, like oh, yeah. it's it's in that same sort of vein. Like when I was a kid, I was like super super obsessed with Spirited Away, um, mm-hmm. for a similar reason. Like Spirited Away is a lot more conventionally structured than this movie, um, but it's still like compared to the other stuff like that I was watching as a kid, compared to like you know Pixar movies and stuff like that. Like Spirited Away has a a, it it trusts the intelligence of children a great deal more and it trusts (laughs) children's ability to handle difficult or complex subject matter and Uh, just and and just weirdness yeah in a way that that most western children's media made after the 80s doesn't because like you can go back to the 1980s and you can watch movies like the secret of nim or the black cauldron or the last unicorn or uh the never-ending story and you can see kids movies that confronted kids with a lot of really upsetting stuff um and that has just all gone away um and and this movie really feels like in that same sort of vein of just like because it doesn't it because like it also doesn't have a happy ending like it doesn't like it just like it's a kids movie about talking animals that is just like bleak and weird and like off-putting not like off-putting but like it's actually kind of the opposite of off-putting it feel it's sort of enveloping in a lot of ways where like it's it's like it's about like wonder and mystery in this way that is like very different from like most fantasy media which is about like putting you and the, and the protagonist at like the center of all of this stuff and it's more about just like look at how, and this this movie is more about like look at how small you are and how little you understand um, yeah, yeah. it does it feels a lot like being a child in that way where like when you're a very young kid you just don't know stuff and so everything in the world yeah. sort of feels like this yeah yeah like, um, 
everything so many like kind of small things happen that are never like explained and you don't really get a chance especially with the, in the train section like yeah uh when the when the bird catcher leaves uh yeah giovanni goes i wish i'd talked to him more like at first at first it felt like he was interrupting but uh like now i miss him being here yeah so like it's it's yeah it's that's that kind of like uh, but yeah, like like if a guy shows up, says I'm a bird catcher, and then like gives you a a piece of a heron's foot that tastes like candy, and then goes outside, and then like wrestles with a bunch of birds and shoves them into a sack, like what do you do with that information? Like you have you have no choice but to just accept what is being shown to you. Like that exact like that's to us as adults that's really, really weird. But like to a child, everything about the world is exactly that level of weird. <laughs> right, right. Like you're and you're constantly exposed to like new new weird things. And 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 not really like at the at, like, at a rate at which you can't really process any yeah. individual one. So it's all just like this soup of mystery and you can't like people don't just explain every single thing to you that happens because like adults forget that not everything is is normal to you yet because you're you're seven um yeah so so yeah so we're on this train um and after after a minute campanella appears just uh just 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 fades in peeking out the window yeah and then like closes the window and sits down yeah, and Giovanni's like, oh, hey, cool, Campanella's here. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> Why not? And the, yeah, then Campanella says something about how the others others uh, kind of were chasing after him, but they weren't fast enough. Yeah, he says a bunch of stuff that doesn't make sense at the time. Until and the then, and then yeah. it suddenly makes sense. Because he says, he also says this thing about, like, I hope my mom will forgive me for what I've done. Which at the time oh, I sort yeah, of interpreted yeah. as meaning like forgive him for like getting on the train, and I guess in a sense that's what he means. But yeah, what he means more specifically, we will discover. Uh, we will yeah, discover. I, like the yeah, the way he describes it, it sounds like like he either did something before he left or is going to do something yeah. that like she won't like. Uh, yeah, at, at the time, I like I interpreted it as, as like, oh, they've gotten on this train and they're never going home, you know, and so like uh, and so like they're gonna they're like running away from home or something like that, and I like and and Campanella's like, oh, I hope my mom forgives me for doing this, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, like that's sort of what I interpreted it as. Um, God, there's a, I mean, I guess Spirited Away kind of has that same sort of thing. I'm I'm thinking of maybe it's not a specific thing, but just sort of like this nebulous kind of children's story about kids who run away from home and discover that running away from home actually kind of sucks um, <laughs> and that their parents actually care about them um you know but like that's kind of what i thought this story was going to be was mm. it was going to be about kids going off and and exploring the world and running away from home and like having a bunch of terrifying experiences that make them realize that like actually home isn't that bad um so yes, not, so not quite what not quite how, not how quite things, what happens. Uh, how things go. Um, the 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 plot synopsis of this uh of of this on Wikipedia describes the train boarding sequence as a steam train suddenly appears and Giovanni boards it, which is not what happens. <laughs> <laughs> that is plainly not what happens. The, he is he is run over by a ghost train and magically appears inside of it. Well, uh, I mean it. 
you see the train breaking, and then you see him standing next to it. The uh, the the sequence of shots is very disorienting, and oh, is yeah, sure. it definitely is like meant to imply that he's like getting hit by the train, or like the train is approaching him and he's standing in front of. Him. Because there's also a shot of him standing directly in front of the train and about and like barreling down on him. Right, uh, but then afterwards, there's like the tr- the train that like stops and the steam clears, and he's standing next to it, looking up. Yeah. Um, so uh, like. It doesn't go straight to him being zorped inside. Uh, yeah, so yeah, so they there's uh, a number of sequences where they 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 look outside and they see you know beautiful fields of uh, of of grain or whatever, um, and uh, and they also see they see the they the the sort of structure of this is that they visit a number of of sort of famous constellations and the first one that they see is the Northern Cross um, or which is is usually called Cygnus. Uh, oh right, right. yeah uh, I, the, the, yeah the names they used um, threw me off and so I yeah. didn't make that connection yeah well so, yeah the northern cross so the northern cross is like a sub part of the constellation Cygnus um, um, um so they uh they so but then the train the train reaches a um a station and it's like hey we have a twenty minute stopover and then they're like okay do you want to go and explore. And there's something that happens that is completely unexplained, which is that they they walk out into like this enormous like station building, and uh, there clearly were a bunch of people here, and they've all vanished, um, leaving behind like their luggage and clothes, um, just like sitting empty on all of the benches and stuff like that. And they're just like, "Huh, that's weird," and it, it's never <laughs> returned to. Um, but yeah, and then they so they they explore the station building a little bit. Um, and they, they find this, this little door, um, and they, they open it up and it's got, I mean, there's so many just like incredible, like stunning visual ideas, but this, in this movie, but this was like particularly striking that they open this door and then it cuts to like a wide shot of the other side of the door. And it's just this like seemingly endless staircase in the middle of the void. And they're just like standing there. Um, you know, like this, this, this movie has so many amazing visuals in it. And that, that one really struck me. Um, and then, uh, so they, they descend this staircase and they find themselves in a completely empty, seemingly sort of abandoned town at the bottom of the staircase. Um, and then they find another staircase that takes them down to something called the Pliocene Coast. Um, and they go down there and they find this beach that's like made out of diamonds. Um, and there are... Yes, well, yeah, and then they keep exploring, and they find these walnuts buried in the sand, and they're like, huh, that's weird. <laughs> and then they keep going, and then they find, they, like, find, like, an archaeological dig site being overseen by their their teacher. Dressed uh, as Smokey the Bear. Yes. <laughs> He's, like, dressed in, like, a classic explorer's outfit. He has, like, a pith helmet on. Um, and uh, he... Uh, he looks at them and he's like, this, this again, cracked me up, left me incapacitated for like a minute where he says, I see there that you found yourself a walnut. There were millions of them once. That walnut dates from 1.2 million years ago. <laughs> um, and again, never comes up ever again. Never explained, never anything. Um... But yeah, so they they have this conversation with him about like the the archaeology and, and the dig site, um, uh, and I, I don't have a ton of screenshots of like the dialogue apart from the walnut bit. Um, 
But yeah, and he's he's like overseeing this this dig site where there's a couple of like other cats that are like down there digging stuff, and he keeps telling them like, oh, dig there, dig there, don't use your shovel there, the dirt's too soft. Um, and then um, eventually, like they they decide to go home, or they decide not go home, they decide to go back to the to the train because they're gonna they're gonna miss the the train's gonna leave without them. Um, and then as they're leaving, the like shot like you know pulls out and we see that like the beach that they've been standing on and like the rocks that they've been standing on are actually the skeleton of an enormous like dinosaur bird thing um, um and then when they they return to the town that they came from and they find that it's completely turned to stone and is like crumbling um and they're like huh that's weird uh and then they run up the stairs and then they get on the train um Oh, well, now that you mention that, like, uh, when they get on the train, Campanella's like, we ran for 1.2 million years. Yeah. Uh, and then Giovanni looks down and his walnut, like, disintegrates in his hand. So, yes, like... I, I do, like Something the thing about this the, time there. the whole sequence is I don't understand I don't understand <laughs> like and I don't like the thing is I don't understand if there even is anything to understand yeah. about what happened there like I don't know if I'm there if there's some mechanistic explanation I don't think that there is I think the whole thing is like dream logic because um, I also kind of interpreted Campanella saying as saying we ran for 1.2 million years as him making a joking reference to the thing that their teacher said about walnuts. Right, right, right. right. Um, but I, but I think it's, I think it's connected to the fact that walnut disintegrated and yeah. the station, ha- the station has become like destroyed. Yeah, it's eroded. It's, yeah, like they they travel back in time and then they come forward in time and then like they're in like some sort of ancient fossilized city or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, again, like what the, if there's any broader significance? Uh, I, I do not know it. Yeah, but then they they get they get back on the train, and then this this a man mysteriously materializes on the train, uh, <laughs> and is like, uh, and then it is is like, hey, can I sit here? They're in a completely empty train car, and this man <laughs> yeah, is like, can yeah, I dude. sit? Can I sit next to you? And it's like, do you? Oh yeah, yeah. I bet you go you go into the bathroom and you like rock up at the urinal right next to the only other dude there. <laughs> You weirdo. <laughs> but Giovanni is polite to a fault. He says, no. uh, if a guy came up, comes up to you, it's it's a flawless scheme because you come up to somebody and you're like, hey, can I sit next to you? And you don't, like, that's a weird thing to say, but simultaneously, you, what are you going to say? Like, sit somewhere else? That's, ki- that's also kind of rude. Well, he could have just said that... He was on a date with his boyfriend, which is not <laughs> wrong. Um, but yeah, so then the the bird catcher like talks about um, uh, eating birds. Talks about eating yeah. birds, and it's like, and it's like, uh, well, well, they have this first. They have this conversation where the bird catcher is like, "Where are you two boys headed off to?" And Giovanni says, "To the end of the universe." And the bird catcher says, "Oh, this train can actually take you there." Um, and then the bird catcher is like, "Oh, I'm going. I'm getting off the next stop because I'm a bird catcher." Um, and then he, he opens a bag full of, like, flattened, <laughs> flattened herons, um, and he, he, like, takes out a heron, and then he, like, magically snaps off its legs and gives them to, to Giovanni and Campanella, who eat it, and then they report that it tastes like candy. Yeah, because uh, apparently they've never eaten birds before, despite being cats. Yeah. Well, they're Italian cats, so they must subsist primarily on fish. Uh... Um... But yeah, they're like, who in the world could eat a heron? And it's like, you're a cat. 
<laughs> Use your imagination. You could. <laughs> um, and then this other mysterious guy who we never... Uh, we'll, we'll see him again. We'll see him again, but we never learn who he is. Oh, we never, yeah. we never learn what his deal is, even even in the vaguest sense. He feels like in his character design, he like there's a bit later where he transforms into a crow, um, oh. and he he very much feels like a specter of death kind of mm. archetype to me. That's, um, that's a good point. You know, but like yeah, he just like sort of materializes as like, hey, you got some nice birds there, and then yeah. he he gets to talk and talk and inside inside birdcatcher baseball. Uh, with the bird catcher about about like the um, the coming birds, and then the bird catcher like suddenly vanishes, and they look out the window, and he's in the middle of this like enormous desert, and then like a huge migration of herons come in, and there's again just a bizarrely long sequence of all of these birds like in slow motion flying by him as he like grabs them and like wrestles them into his sack, <laughs> and they're all the birds are like crashing into the sand and vanishing. Yeah, yeah, and he's like just going ape shit, like grabbing as many as he can, and then, uh, and then like he, like collapses and and melts into the sand as well. Yeah, and then just reappears on the screen. Yeah, this this like this movie, it's it's there's a lot of movies and stuff out there that are inspired by dreams or like capture or attempt to capture like dream feeling, and that is. One of the things about this movie that is the most Lynchian, which it, it is weird to call a movie Lynchian that came out before David Lynch's first movie, uh, but it's just my influenced him. I I've kind I kind of doubt it. Like given the the import rate of Japanese uh, animation yeah. to the U.S. in the nineteen eighties, um, you know, like I I highly doubt that this movie would have been available to him. But like it it this movie just has this incredible dream feel to it where like dream feel. it 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 captures better than almost anything i've ever seen the feeling of being in a dream where like just stuff is happening and it all just sort of like makes it doesn't make sense but it makes sense in the sense that like <laughs> you're like you're being shown it and it's happening so you can't exactly question it because it's it's happening <laughs> uh, yeah like trying to trying to kind of explain it is yeah kind of another matter yeah um so yeah so the next thing that happens is that uh, so earlier when uh giovanni had went giovanni went to the the store to buy some bread and sugar um with his money that he'd earned typesetting um and on his way there he a guy comes out of the uh the store and drops something on the ground and giovanni goes to pick it up and then the guy picks it up and mutters to himself as one does uh <laughs> i can't lose my ticket i'll i'll have to get I, I won't be able to get on the train without a ticket um and um yeah so like that's our first introduction to like this notion of of a train uh is this, this like concept. this like blind guy um, and so then we meet him again on the train. He just sort of appears and then he falls over. He's like this like old blind guy. Um, and they learn that he's like a like a wireless operator. Like he does Morse code and stuff like that. Um, yeah, and so just, radio freak. Uh, this would have been, I mean, this is like written in the 20s. So it would have been before even ham radio. Uh, but um, but yeah, so he uh, so Giovanni and Campanella help him to uh get to his his like office or whatever on the train uh, oh, yeah, he's he got like a little, little he's got his own little cabin with like a wireless setup in there and they hear um 
he's like picking up this transmission and he's been picking it up for a while and he doesn't know what it is and he only picks it up in like fits and starts um and it turns out like like we we only get like he asks campanella to like write down what he's getting and it's this really interesting section watching it with english subtitles is really funny because he's transcribing in japanese campanella is writing it down in italian and the subtitles are saying it in english um (laughs) Um, and like immediately, I actually I I recognize I, I recognize it immediately based on the words that it was the it's the the hymn near my God to thee, um, and but we 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 get told that explicitly they they run into a nun who's a passenger on the train, and she tells them like she recognizes the words and she's like oh that's that's this hymn it's called near my God to thee and she starts singing it, um, and they look out. I forget exactly how this is explained, but they, or like what they say about this, but they like look out the window while this is happening on this like enormous, like stone obelisk and like the sea of like abandoned or like empty, like stone houses. And it's just like really ominous while she like keeps singing. And I think it's implied that this is the source of this broadcast. Um, Um, And then, uh, and then that just ends uh no no further comment on that um but then um the ticket then the ticket inspector appears the the train conductor the ticket train conductor shows up and it's like tickets please um and uh, he's like oh fuck i don't even know how i got on this train let alone where i got it where i would get a ticket uh, but then uh the bird catcher <laughs> during there's a very extended sequence where he does uh, an activity that is very familiar to me as a former frequent traveler on the Metro North, which is patting down all of my pockets to try to find where the fuck I put my ticket while somebody stares at me. Um, and then he eventually finds it and gives it to the ticket the ticket collector. And then uh, Campanella pulls out his ticket and is like, here. And then Giovanni's like, ah, shit. And then he he's like frantically reaching in his pockets like over and over and over again. And he like miraculously finds this like large green piece of paper in there and then hands it to the, the conductor. And the conductor is like, holy shit. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then the bird man looks over and is like, ooh. What is this? And then uh, the, the ticket inspector says, Excuse me, sir, but did you get this ticket in the third dimension? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And is like, I don't even know where I got it. <laughs> um, and then the ticket collector leaves, and yeah. the bird guy's like, oh, 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 that's a very rare yeah, ticket. Yeah, because Giovanni asks Campanella, like, can my ticket t- take me where you're going? And and the uh, the bird catcher says, of course, that, that's an incredibly rare ticket that could take you anywhere. Uh, it can even take you to the true heaven. Uh, true so yeah so then after that uh we meet the kids and their tutor who were on the titanic so these are our our first and and only human characters who show up and it's like you know and they they talk about how like and there's there's this very long sequence where they talk about they they do not say the name titanic but they're like oh we were on an ocean liner that got hit by an iceberg and there weren't enough lifeboats you know and like it's very obviously the Titanic, um, which is really interesting considering this book would have been written like five to ten years bef- at right after the Titanic sank. Oh yeah, um, you know, like like that was it would have been very very recent. Uh, uh, 
and then so yeah so they, they they tell this whole like story and the tutor is talking about how like as he was trying to like rescue these kids he was like realizing how difficult it would be to get them space on a lifeboat and he was like witnessing all of these parents being separated from their kids on the lifeboats um you know and and how he was thinking like wouldn't it be better uh if we just died now and were saved by god rather than having to suffer through the rest of our lives <laughs> uh, and i'm like that is which like it's 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 very interesting to like read this is something that i i you know i've talked about before in regards to like evangelion but like japanese perspectives on christian mythology um where like in japanese culture suicide is acceptable under certain circumstances um you know like there's a long cultural history of like seppuku like and and like ritual suicide and stuff like that which does not exist in europe and so like the idea of a a european christian saying some thinking something like oh i i want to die so that i can meet god faster that's not something that like a christian would actually think but i can totally see if you were like an outsider looking at that belief system yeah. you would then come to the conclusion well surely if you believe that you're going to go to the best place in the universe like conceivable when you die you would want to die as fast as possible if you it's thought that quick, yeah. you know whereas like if you're from like a shinto buddhist perspective you're just like looking at reincarnating or whatever and if you haven't put particular effort in reaching nirvana like well who cares uh, <laughs> i'm not like that enthused about death um, because it's probably going to be much the same as it, as things are now. Yeah. Um, but that was really interesting. Like, look, like that sort of perspective. Cause like the idea of putting of like, a somebody coming from like a, a Christian culture, like a European Christian culture, like putting those words in a, in a character's mouth is, is very unusual. I wouldn't expect anybody to actually think or say that. Yeah. Um, but as it, um, but yeah, like at first, like he goes, he goes through a number of perambulations. Uh, like first, he's trying to yeet at the kids onto the lifeboats, knowing that he wouldn't be he wouldn't go with them. So this is after he decided not to just like uh, do Christian uh, suicide. And then he's like, okay, no, I, I, my duty is to save these kids. So he goes to the lifeboats, tries to get them on, but then like it's such a scrum, and and he realizes he would have to stay behind, um, and leave the kids without any like anyone so instead like they wait to like try and survive together and don't yeah and, like they drown and yeah. uh we now understand that they are dead yeah and, and that this is a train for people who are dead at least at least most part. um so yeah and then um yeah they they also they share magical apples that they can duplicate easily um yes oh yeah and they also uh they witness corn they 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 do there's they like they look outside and there's this enormous cornfield and the way that they choose to represent this cornfield there's like a few shots that are very conventional, but there's also like this like one like weirdly like flat image that they like <laughs> yeah. project off to the horizon. It looks like looks like mo- like a mode seven world map from a Super Nintendo RPG. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, and then they, so like and then suddenly it's like daytime and they're in the middle of this enormous cornfield. Um, and then shortly after that, they. Um, they pass by the constellation of Scorpius, um, 
and one of the 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 older child who's this this like i don't know like probably like 13 14 year old girl um she uh she tells this story because they they talk about they talk about scorpions and like the 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 little boy um it's like oh my my teacher told me that scorpions are bad bugs um because they they'll they'll try to sting you and they'll hurt you and they can even kill you and then the the older sister says uh right this is also uh when i believe this is uh i believe that this is where um the bird catcher disappears and um because I'm, I'm looking through my screenshots. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think he disappears. Yeah, he disappears he... when he when he's he's talking about how he's never seen a ticket like that before, and then he's just gone. Okay. Uh, so just before just before the kids show up. Yeah, and then Giovanni's like, I wonder where he went. You know, I sort of wish I'd spent more time talking to him. Yeah. Um, yeah so yeah, so that, that happens just before then, and so yeah, so the the older sister tells a story about this uh, tells a sort of parable about a scorpion who, you know, was was a menace to society uh and and you know killed and ate a lot of a lot of animals and then it was the scorpion encountered a weasel and was so afraid that it it ran from the weasel and it fell down like a a well or a deep hole and it found itself trapped um and it was going to die in there and then it realized that you know if that it had been such a terror to other animals um and then suddenly when it when it found itself terrorized, it, it ran immediately. It acted like such a coward, um, and that if it had just given its if it had just given itself oh, yeah. into its fate, you know, with dignity, it could have helped another creature live another day. And now its death will mean nothing. Yeah, um, so it 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 uh was it, it tried to uh it's remove itself from the the natural cycle of life. Uh, it fed on so many creatures. And instead of giving back in return, it, it ran like a coward. Yeah. And so then the scorpion, the scorpion wished to not be a waste and to, to, <laughs> to be of use to something. Um, and then the scorpion bursts into flames. Uh, With the strength of its conviction. Yeah. And then became a star in the, in a Scorpius, uh, it became the Scorpius constellation. Like that's yeah. the, uh the origin parable of, of the constellation Scorpius. Um, yeah. So th- around this time, yes, this is, I, we talking earlier about kind of the way they do so much with just kind of like looks and without dialogue. And so like, I think it's, the, I think it's when the, when they have the apples just before the story that like, uh, Campanella gives the girl, the, the girl an apple and like they smile at each other, and then like Giovanni like looks at them, and then looks away, and like there's a whole. It's not like there's more than that, but like, this whole kind of sequence of glances, where it's all you need to know to see that Giovanni is like jealous of um, the girl and the way she's getting attention or the way he thinks that Campanella is giving her attention. And it's, yeah, it's, it's like, it's so, it's so kind of like understated and subtle, but very clearly there. Um, so then, uh, our, our friendly human characters, Titanic, Titanic victims, uh, are like, well, we have to get off now because the next stop is heaven. <laughs> uh, they arrive at, at the Southern cross 
Um, Notably, this is not, I think, what the Birdman called true heaven. So no. this implies that this, this train station goes to every religion's heaven. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so I'm talking about... so. I, okay, so in the, in a little bit, we're gonna see uh, another potential afterlife. We'll talk. I'll, I'll talk about that when we get there. Um, okay. So, um, so they they decide to get off. So this is like the Christian heaven, and there's like an enormous cross off in the distance, and a huge procession of of people like going and cats and cats, who are the real people. Yeah. Um, going to like get into the Christian heaven, and like the little boy is like, I want to stay on the train, and uh, uh, you know, I, I don't want to leave. I'm having a good time here, and it's like, well, unfortunately, you know, this is where this is where we have to, this is where we get to heaven. You know, you're you're gonna have to get off here. Um, and you don't you don't have to go to heaven, but you can't stay here. <laughs> yeah, I forget the exact wording. I'm trying to like, I don't have screenshots of the exact wording, but there, it, it's a very it's a very good sort of like little kid decides not to do something, and here's a a reasoned argument that he should, and then goes, okay, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, and then they and then the Giovanni and Campanella are left alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and Giovanni is like, you know, we'll always be together. Let's just keep going like this forever. Um, Capital gives the most kind of strange smile you've ever seen a cat make. Um, and so then they arrive at the the Colsac Nebula. Um, right. Yes. So the the Colsac Nebula is a, a real thing. It is a it is a a dark nebula. If you look in the Milky Way, it's just like huge, just like weird dark blob uh, uh, that you can't see into. And uh, when they arrive here, Campanella starts saying that he sees the true heaven and but uh, giovanni looks out and he just sees fucking nothing uh, uh he sees a a void um and the thing about this is that uh so so our our titanic survivors are uh probably english or american which would probably make them protestant meanwhile our cats are italian which makes them catholic um, uh... and so G- Campanella, I, I, I don't know whether the Colsack is supposed to be hell or purgatory, but I think this movie might be implying that Catholics don't get into heaven. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. I, that's incredible. Well, the, notably, um, like the, the, when the, when they got off at heaven, that was the Southern Cross stop, right? Yeah. And there was a there was like then the like the music blast the, the giant neon cross welcoming them home. Um, it wasn't neon, but it was like big glowing. It was it's very ridiculous. Um, but the like the very first like constellation they passed, the Northern Cross, also had a big old cross. Uh, so what was so if that wasn't probably the North the nor- admittedly the Northern Cross didn't have anybody going into it. No, true, but it was like, it, um, there's some there's a parallel with the Northern and Southern Cross, and each of them being Christian as hell. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So Campanella sees sees is like describing heaven and his mother waiting for him and stuff like that, and then Giovanni like you know runs off into uh and the the front of running off towards I think the the back well, of all the train. All of a sudden, Campanella's like disappears yeah he disappears and uh, then giovanni sees him like closing the door behind him at the end of the train and yeah. then chases him down through all of the uh, uh through, each, through, through each car he like opens yeah. it opens it so they actually just, just after giovanni had again said we'll be 
we'll be together forever, right? And then, like, he looks out the window, looks back, and bam. I think, so, um... Oh, we missed the part where Capital starts crying silently. Yes. Uh, one interesting thing about this book is that this book was written in the 1920s and early 1930s and I believe that the fact that other galaxies existed was not discovered until the 1940s Um, and by by Sir Edwin Hubble Um, and so I think like we didn't I actually think when this book was written we did not know what the Colsac Nebula was Uh. um uh, which is, which is definitely interesting. Like it's it's actually really weird because like we take we take for granted that kind of knowledge, but it's like astonishingly recently that we discovered that right, th- things right. existed outside of the Milky Way galaxy and that the Milky Way is just like one tiny tiny speck in the cosmic vastness. Like, yeah, being able to figure that stuff out. Um, so it it is really interesting to like read a story that is so astronomically focused uh, from a time when like our astronomical knowledge is expanding rapidly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's still very incomplete. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, so we, um, at, yeah, so at some point, so the, I think the first time that Giovanni says we'll be together forever, um, Campanella says, like, sure, or whatever, with that little strange smile, and then as Giovanni turns away, you see Campanella is kind of, is kind of crying silently, uh, and then the next time it happens, he disappears. And then that's when Giovanni chases after him through the empty train cars and finds him at the end of the train where he is, where he opens the door to like the, the little, what's it called? The it's, little like kind a bal- of... it's like a balcony on the end of the train. I yeah, don't I was going to say a patio, is. but it's not, <laughs> it's not the word yeah. either. Uh, so Campanella like opens it, goes ahead and somehow like locks it from the outside. Yeah. I've never so... been on a train that has that feature. This is dream logic, though. Yeah. So, um, and then. I don't think I've ever been on a train that has one of those weird little balconies because I'm I yeah. didn't I haven't been alive a hundred years ago. Uh, <laughs> I don't think Amtrak trains have that. <laughs> At least not the not the big ones. And then it's, he uh, Campanella just says goodbye. Uh, yeah, and then he like vanishes. Well, you see him walking off into the... Into yeah, the oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, like, walks off, just, like, walks through the, the train balcony and then just walks off into the distance. Uh, and then Giovanni... So, yeah, so earlier, earlier, um, way earlier, he, when he said, I hope my mother forgives me, uh, at no point did he say his mother is dead. And then, um, and then he also mentioned, like, I wonder what, would, what it would take to make my mother truly happy. Uh, and Campanella or Giovanni says, "Surely your your mother is happy, isn't she?" Uh, not realizing that uh, his mother is dead, and so it's weird that these two are like best friends, seemingly, and like he because like G- Giovanni has been to Campanella's house, and they've talked. Cu- I think only a couple times. Though. I don't like, think it's, it's specific. It's, like it's they seem sort of buddy buddy. It yeah, it's, it's it's vague though. Like it is it is definitely vague. Like it it it's clouded by the fact that interpersonal relationships in this movie are depicted in such a strange like space alien kind of way. Yeah, where like yeah. it it definitely feels like other people treat them like they're friends, and I think they treat each other like they're friends, and like. You know, when, when Giovanni's talking to his mom, he talks about how, like, they've been friends since they were little kids because their dads are friends. But anyway, the, p- the point is that, like, it's not until right here when we when we get to the coal um, nebula that we realize that Campanella's mother is dead at all. Yeah. And that he wants to go join her. Yeah. Um, and so 
uh, then Giovanni like starts to walk back to his seat, uh, and then he cries, and then he uh, he wakes up suddenly in the field that he started off in. Right, and, and he's and like, "Come, oh, what a what a strange dream." Yeah, because he, he mentioned before kind of the, the way the way it uh, feels like a dream, and the whole and the, the way it uh, represents dream logic, and so like at fr- like the most kind of emotive or like emotionally impactful that this movie get is is right before this when yeah. Giovanni screams like Campanella and yeah and he's crying and and then wakes up and the first thing he does upon waking up is like oh i forgot to get the milk for my mother and so yeah so like at, there there is a sense that like he too thought that was all a dream uh, and is trying to kind of just shake shake it off and get and go back to kind of uh normal life and so he goes to the to the dairy and this is when it's all lit up and normal and there's this there's this friendly milkman um who banters on about how how the baby calf was bogarting all the milk and they couldn't they couldn't get get enough um in the morning for everyone and so giovanni gets his milk and toddles on down the hill and then he runs into one of his classmates, right? Yes, he runs yeah. into it. Yeah, he's like holding the milk and he runs into one of his classmates. His classmate is like, oh, holy shit, Campanella fell, fell into the river. Uh, the, and like tells him the whole story that like their uh, one, Zanelli, who was one of Giovanni's bullies, had like fallen into the river and then Campanella dove in to save Zanelli and then rescued Zanelli, who got pulled back onto the boat. But by the time that Zanelli got back, into the boat Campanella was already gone yeah and so and so like this yeah this you realize then when this happens that at the very beginning when uh Campanella joins Giovanni on the train he mentions how the others went after him but weren't fast enough and how Zanelli almost caught him um but not quite and so it all suddenly clicks that the reason that Campanella appeared on the train was when he fell in the water. Um, and they mentioned that it's, it's like 45 minutes ago. And, I, and I'm guessing if you looked at like the actual runtime of the film, it would be about that long. Uh, but yeah, that also explains kind of why Giovanni's ticket is so special. Cause I, I think he's the only living person on the train. Um, so he he runs down to the river they see the searchlight um, and everyone's kind of watching and and the the police dog or whatever is it a dog uh i I don't know anyway, the police creature <laughs> <laughs> pull, pulls out his watch and says well it's been forty five minutes I don't think we're we're gonna no no that him. that's campanella's that's campanella's dad really yeah that's a cat it looks exactly like campanella except older and wearing a coat okay also everybody describes him as campanella's dad he's he's he seemed so kind of like uh with the one with the mustache yeah yeah the 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 tall pink cat yeah pink yeah he's purple it must have been the light he's exactly the same color as campanella didn't look he looks exactly like Campanella, except taller and with a mustache. 
<laughs> all right, all right, all right. Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess... Or even wearing the same thing. <laughs> oh, I suppose they are. Uh, Not really, but... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that... Okay, okay. That explains why he mentioned um, Giovanni's father had written to him. Uh, okay, I, yeah, that did click it first. Okay, okay, got it. Uh, yeah, so... Yeah, Capitola's dad, in in a, a show of traditional masculine stoicism, is like, "All right, well, my son's dead." <laughs> yeah, let's go. Yeah. Let's go. That's why. That's why I, I just assumed it was like a police person because they were they were so like whatever about the <laughs> the kid being dead. But anyway, yeah, yeah, he's um. He says, yeah, he says that Giovanni's dad seemed very happy in the letter that he got from just a few days ago, which. Why is, Giov- that he- Why is Giovanni's dad writing to Campanella's dad and not to Giovanni like, or yeah, Giovanni's mom? Yeah, that. <laughs> uh, and also, that I mean, that, but that does suggest he's not in jail. It does suggest um, he's not in jail. It suggests that he instead went out for cigarettes and never came home. <laughs> Yeah, and there's a weird monologue in the, during the credits that yeah. might be the letter. Uh, oh, I, de- I definitely didn't interpret that as the letter, but uh, I, that's interesting because I like I was only sort of half paying attention to it because I was so gobsmacked by the end of this movie. <laughs> and so I, it, it was like it was a lot of information to throw at me, and I, so I was like listening to it and like it, it had a lot of stuff. I I thought it might be like some sort of like note or like additional context from like the author or something like that, uh, but it, that, I mean, that it, could be too. It being the I, letter makes a lot of sense. Uh, I like I didn't really get what it was putting down. <laughs> I didn't really pick up what it was putting down. Yeah, I, I was so there's my brain was a little fried too. So much happens in this movie, and then it's like at the end, it's like all right, listen to somebody read this like long letter, and I'm like, I can't. I my brain, <laughs> I don't. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, this this after um, after Giovanni sees that Campanella has died, and um, he he begins walking home, and says that he is going to be like the scorpion in the story and explode uh, into a ball of fire. <laughs> ensure that kind of like. Essentially sacrificing himself for the happiness of everyone else. Um, yeah. Which is where I got the Christ. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't... Like, this movie is... It has a lot of Christian imagery in it from, like, the Northern Cross and the Southern Cross and stuff like that. But also, yeah. that notion of self-sacrificing, it feels a lot more traditionally Japanese to me than it does, mm-hmm. like, a, an explicit, like, Christ reference. I see, uh, that's, that's certainly possible. Yeah, like it, it's definitely interesting because it's like it's a very old Japanese novel, and so it, it contains within it, like especially in that sort of aspect, like a sort of traditionalist Japanese value system that I think a lot of post-war stories would interrogate and maybe reject mm. aspects of. Um, but yeah, like it's it's definitely like, but it's also like reading about the author and stuff like that. It's like very consistent with like stuff that he wrote in other novels and like his his like general worldview of like this, this like his his he had a very sort of like self sacrificing f- sort of collectivist philosophy. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, like it's 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 very interesting, um, you know, and like like because like the other the other thing is is that like it this guy Giovanni he his, his I. 
his character arc it's not like he goes from being selfish to being selfless. Like he spends all of his money on buying things for his mom and like yeah, he spends it, all of his, his free time doing chores for his mom. His and whole then, life is self-sacrifice. Yeah, like he doesn't learn anything or change his behavior in any way because he was already like that at the start of the story. And then at the end of the story, he's like, I'm like that even more now. Um, <laughs> I will let my body burn a hundred times over for the true happiness of everyone. Uh, and there's a little line about about true happiness um, when the tutor talks to one of either either the Birdman or the uh, bird or the cat crow death figure uh, about about seeking true happiness. And one of them says something about how like uh, like it is possible if you like if you like tirelessly climb and like struggle for it uh in service of god or something and i'm not sure if that's supposed to be like a contrasting view on uh true happiness to giovanni's or if it's complimentary i definitely feel like i should have i didn't i i i honestly almost watched this movie a second time because the so like the first time that i watched it a copy that i had was like a really low bit rate um and and this movie has a lot of like really dark scenes like yeah. both dark uh uh thematically and also dark visually <laughs> it's just generally a very it has a very dark color palette which just yeah. doesn't play very well with heavy vi- video compression there's a lot of color banding there's a lot of like really intense blockiness that sort of ruined a lot of the shots yeah um, so you told why, me that before i watched yeah. it night I, I went and got the 18 gigabyte version and it is crispy let me tell you um so yeah, so I went and uh, so yeah, I, I I honestly I almost watched it again, but I was so tired. Um, it was, but yeah, like like it, it definitely it's so it's so dense. <laughs> it's there's so much like it, it's it's I it's, like I would it's interesting. I was hesitant to call it dense because like because like it's so like it has it, it all it has so much space to breathe. I feel like especially at the beginning and like the first like almost two-thirds like but like yeah there is a lot of there is there's a lot to unpack there's there's a lot going on a lot thematically a lot symbolically uh despite its kind of um its sparseness i guess yeah Yeah. it's both dense and sparse damn uh It's it's very yeah. You truly can have it all in in 1985. Yeah, it's very it's very interesting. Like, um, I like even though it's very difficult for me to talk about in a way that makes sense because like so much of it is, it's like it is sort of a platonic ideal of a, a kind of art in the sense that like it's so hard to talk about because what it captures is so is so nonverbal and so like <laughs> yeah. what it what it captures is so sort of like vague and ephemeral but it, it's like it's not a, like a vague movie like it's clearly about something very specific but that that very specific thing is almost impossible to capture with language um you know and there's there's something that is very compelling about uh, a work of art that is like that um that like really feels like it's capturing something um that that is that is impossible to speak about clearly um you know like it it doesn't feel like 
so, like a system of symbols or something like that that need to be decoded or like a puzzle that needs to be solved. It just feels like a thing that needs to be experienced. Like I would unqualified recommend this movie to literally anyone who enjoys anything. Um, <laughs> like it is, it is really amazing. And I think more people should know about it. Like I, I, I learned about it just randomly a couple months ago um i was talking with with my friend max who is like a big like retro anime nerd um and this movie came up and i was i, I thought it was really interesting interesting sounding i i like harami hosuno so like i was like oh i will watch it um but yeah like it's it's good um also i one thing that i realized uh shortly after the last episode went up is that this is going to be our halloween episode this year um, and if i had known that i was thinking like oh crap i should have like picked something horror or whatever um you know or more or more seasonally appropriate but like one this movie is pretty dark like it's not scary but it definitely feels seasonally appropriate weirdly like watching this movie i, I compared it to the polar express earlier and it does give me the same feeling as a Christmas movie, even though it has nothing to do with Christmas at all. But it has <laughs> it has of like a, a like a very melancholy sort of Christmas oh, sure. sort of sort of movie. Like it's 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 sort of like it's a wonderful life. Um, you know, like it's it's less like like on the nose about it, but it definitely has it like it gives you that same sort of feeling as a lot of that sort of like very old christmas stuff and it's like i could definitely imagine watching this for christmas um <laughs> yeah it's uh it's so it's good man it's real great um do you have anything else you want to say about it i don't think so yeah like it, yeah. there's there's not much that can be said about it because it, it really speaks for itself in its greatness it, and like it's also like it's visually amazing. Like, it's obviously, like, compared to certain other contemporaneous anime, like, for instance, Akira, which came out at around the same time, like, it is obviously lower budget. Um, but it doesn't hurt it visually in any way. No, it looks great. Yeah, like, it looks it looks great. All the animation is really, really good. There's a lot of stuff, especially for, like, faster animation or certain kinds of shots that are difficult to do with the technology of the time. There's a lot of, like, cheating it by like not like drawing it frame by frame but like uh for a lot of like shots where you would have to like redraw the whole thing there's like they're like fading between a few oh, keyframes yeah. rather than drawing all the in-betweens you know or like for instance during that sequence where like the bird catcher is wrestling with the herons like most of the herons are animated like with a few keyframes there's like no in-betweens and they just like fade it um yeah, yeah. but it honestly kind of enhances the dreamlike feel of the whole thing right for sure yeah um yeah, and like, uh, and but its its visual imagination is just incredible, and like all of, it's just it's a very pleasant to look at movie. All the character designs are really delightful. Um, all the environment and background art is great. Like it's it's so good. It is it's really amazing. Um, do you want to do the nine delights? Oh, absolutely! Now that uh, Izzy has been un unbanned from Twitter. Oh yes, uh, <laughs> Brooks Otterlake, the founder of the Nine Delights. Yeah. Um, so walking around, there's not there's some walking around. I mean, if you depends on how you interpret walking around. Like, does being on a train I, constitute walking around? I, yeah, I like. I would given the, I would say given the spirit of of a thing, it's a, it's like a five out of five. Like, yeah. They, 
it's, it's a movie we're, about we're, a journey we're road tripping motherfuckers yeah a, ro- a road trip is definitely i would say a form of walking around <laughs> uh, so yeah five yes. out of five uh fellowship is also a five out of five absolutely like this is this is a movie about fellowship and about about friendship and about uh, connections with other people uh deliciousness there's apples there's herons that taste like candy there's that tomato <laughs> there's that tomato soup that looked really good that tomato soup looked all right i'd be t- i'd give it i'd give it a three all right i think we can yeah it's sparing but the what the, what we do see looks tasty enough. yeah uh transcendence is a five out of five. Oh, absolutely no question uh goofing there there were several moments in this movie that because of their sheer oddity made me crack up but there aren't really any jokes like nobody's yeah. nobody's goofing it's just there there are several moments like the, the the walnut bit and the the like the milk the interaction with the milk lady that are just so striking in their bizarreness that they made me laugh um so i might give it a one out of five for that i suppose yeah yeah but it's like that's not it's not an insult it's just not what the movie is going for right right uh amelioration can can we give negative points (laughs) (laughs) but like in a good way i feel like this is like a negative five out of five Because it's like it's like the opposite of ameliorating. It's like this like bizarre, off-putting story about how amelioration is impossible. Like <laughs> I mean like it's yeah, it's weird because like Campanella kind of like finds peace in a sense. Yeah. Uh and and Giovanni kind of like comes to an understanding of the universe and his like place in it uh but it's like so like the ending is kind of like not it's not not, not like satisfying in the way that like a happy ending is satisfying oh like, the, i was just thinking the other thing that this movie reminds me of i was thinking of this earlier and i was trying to think of it uh bridge to terabithia um this oh, movie is bridge to terabithia as fuck uh, uh, Bridge to Terabithia is a a very uh, another classic in the genre of kids movies that are very sad. Um, <laughs> it's about uh, some it's a it's it is about some kids who play in the woods and have fantastical adventures in the woods, and then one of them dies. Um, I don't know if the movie is any good. The book is a classic. Um, although I also haven't read the books in you know fifteen years. Uh, so yeah, uh, but yeah, like, I don't, like, like, it is, it's, it's, I feel like, it's, like, in my soul, it's a five out of five, because it's, it, 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 like, but also simultaneously, it's, it's ameliorating in its denial of amelioration, like, it's not <laughs> interested in, um, yeah, it's, like, not interested in, like, being traditionally narratively satisfying, uh, is, there, is there a Unicode like upside down five? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm going to give it a negative five out of five, and I mean that in the in the best way possible. <laughs> there we go. We're going to give it a negative five out of negative five. 
Um, <laughs> That's better. Yeah. yeah. Um, coitus, coitus is uh, yeah. N a. Yeah, uh, not applicable. As we as we've said, more can be worse when it comes to coitus. Um, <laughs> enthrallment is also obviously a five out of five. Uh, what's your wild card? Ah, uh, fuck. Uh, walnuts, one point two million out of five. <laughs> You've been really going at it with the the non-standard numbering lately. I I, I love to sow chaos. What can I say? Uh, what what when I what's my wild card? My wild card is trains, and it is a five out of five. Um. There, I was actually, I was kind of expecting this movie to contain more exterior shots of the train, but we never actually see what the train looks like from the outside when it's like going through space. Right, we, we just see the engine. Yeah, we see the views engine. out the window, but we don't actually see any any shots of the train itself. Right, right, but right. that's good for me because I'm not actually the kind of train nerd who like really cares about the way trains look. I actually, the, the thing I'm fond of is is the experience <laughs> of riding. <laughs> The kind of train nerd I am. I'm more refined. Uh, <laughs> Alex, do you have a book to recommend? Uh, I do. This is something that um, has nothing really to do with the movie, but it it was something that I was reminded about when you were talking about uh, Jerry. Oh. So, uh, so this book is McTeague by Frank Norris. And it's it was written 1899, and apparently, it was there was like a there was like a lost, or a partially lost film adaptation by like this Russian auteur, that was originally like eight hours long, and only like less than half of it is still like extant, um, and it was it's like one of the great lost masterpieces. But anyway, it's about this kind of, I guess a, a sort of a proto himbo. <laughs> <laughs> who in, I think he inherits his dad's it's been years since I read it in, inherits like his dad's dentistry or something um, and he's just this this big kind of doofy guy who's just kind of like sort of bumbling through life and then this family moves in nearby and this like young pretty girl um, starts like talking to him and they somehow hit it off uh and get married and they're like from then on just like both of them become like the worst version of themselves kind of over the course of their marriage uh she becomes this kind of really miserly like like horrible um kind of petty woman and he becomes just like a drunk violent asshole um and there's a bunch of there's a a bunch of other little side stories this adorable little old couple who lives nearby and there's a bunch of weirdos it's a whole cast of characters um but ends up with like i think her stealing all their money and then he either i think he chases her down and kills her uh and then but then it ends with him and his former best friend who was in love with the girl too and kind of became resentful that, that his his kind of doofus friend got the girl. Uh, it ends with them in like uh, 
in the desert um dying and i think they become like i think they end up chained together at the wrist and then mcteague like shoots his friend uh and then he's in like death is like death valley and he just like looks at his friend his dead friend's dead body chained to him miles from anything and he's just like oh oh fuck it ends. It's a bizarre book, uh, but I, it's 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 wild, and uh, it's McTeague by Frank Morris. So, Alex, what are we watching next month? Next month, we are watching *Spirited Away*. Ooh, directed by the, the the one and only Miyazaki, produced by Studio Ghibli. Yeah. Um, I love this movie. This is, this might, I actually don't know if this is the first anime I ever watched. It was, I definitely, I don't, I think it was. One of mine, probably. I think this was the the first anime I ever watched. It was on Cartoon Network. I definitely, I'm pretty sure I watched it before I knew the term anime or had ever heard the term anime. I remember the first anime I watched with, uh, with some friends, like when we knew the word anime was we decided to like watch Bleach. Um, <laughs> and that oh you oh you I've told ta- I've told this story before because we we watched I the thing about it is that we watched like a random episode of Bleach and it was so confounding and terrible that it put me off of anime for like two or three years, um, until I eventually like started like posting on like IRC channels and forums and hearing people talk about it and I watched Cowboy Bebop and realized oh they make anime that's better than Bleach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah it was definitely it was one of those moments where like we were all like oh we've heard of japanese animation is a thing like we're all kind of dork video game liker people let's watch this anime thing that people talk about and then we were like oh this is bad <laughs> uh but yeah spirited away blew me away when i first watched it i was probably in like fifth grade or sixth grade i don't know i i, I remember uh, I, I remember the the situation I was in when I watched it, which is that I watched it in the basement of the third house I lived in in Connecticut, um, which p- dates it to pr- uh, late fifth grade or early or or sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. But I know I was not. I know by the time that I was in eighth grade, I had already. I had, I, I knew other stuff. Uh, I had already seen it. So. <laughs> yeah. I was either in fifth or sixth grade um, when I watched Spirited Away, and I I've rewatched it within the last five years, I think. I think same. Um, but yeah, man, I love Spirited Away. I'm very excited to talk about it. Um, and this is probably is I was gonna I was gonna say this. Is, no, this is still probably definitely the most popular thing we've ever watched. Um, even though we've we've we watched Cabo Bebop and Ava, which are both popular, but Spirited Away is on a on a different level. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's definitely like uh, we we've we've been watching we've watched a few Ghibli things, but we haven't watched we've been sort of conspicuously avoiding the hits. <laughs> um, you know, we haven't watched Spirit Away, we haven't watched Kiki's Delivery Service, we haven't watched Totoro, and like I would I would like to watch all of those things, but it's just like I'm more yeah, interested in watching weirder stuff. I still haven't seen Totoro. Oh man, you should watch Totoro. It's great. Yeah, uh, yeah. We'll, we'll do yeah. it for the pod. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, so yeah, my neighbor Toro, uh, not my neighbor Toro, we're watching Spirited Away, directed by <laughs> Hayao Miyazaki, produced by Studio Julie. Uh, very excited. Uh, Alex, where can people find you on the internet? 
You can find me online, unfortunately. Uh, Twitter at Dun Dun Dun. I'm on Mastodon still. Catalina at selfie.army. Selfie with a Y. I'm on co host the fourth website. Uh, my username there is Catalina. And I stream at trash.cloud. You can How find. You can find me on Twitter at Prophet underscore Goddess. You can find me on Mastodon at Prophet underscore Goddess at Skeleton.cool. Uh, I'm also on co-host the fourth website at Prophet-Goddess. Um, I also stream at Trash.Cloud a lot of the time. Uh, you can find my blog at Blood.Church. You can play the video games that I've made at ProphetGoddess.itch.io. Um, and you can find the show on Twitter at Animeus for Jerks. You can find the show on Mastodon at Animeus for Jerks at uh, skeleton.cool. You can email us at animatorjerks at gmail.com. Uh, please send us in any emails with questions, comments, etc. Uh, shows also on co host at animatorjerks. Um, yeah. So thanks everybody for listening. Uh, see y'all next month. And remember, there is remember. nothing less important than anime. <laughs>